Our first reading for this afternoon is from the fourth chapter of Nehemiah. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry and they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, You must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans, with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, The work is great and widely spread, And we are separated on the wall, far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work. And half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, Let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night, and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading is from the third chapter of 1 Timothy. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert 
or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We continue our recitation of the Ten Commandments. What is the Eighth Commandment? You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not tell lies about our neighbor, betray him, slander him, or hurt his reputation, but defend him, speak well of him, and explain everything in the kindest way. Grace, mercy, and peace to all of you. From God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Usually when we think of the word testimony, we think that you're on a trial and that you would give false testimony. And of course it would cover that. But more than anything, this uh, commandment is dealing with our daily conduct and how we speak of others. We wouldn't tell lies about them, uh, betray them, slander them, hurt their reputation. As I often say to the confirmands and to anyone, I think this is the easiest commandment to break out of all of them. And I also think this is the commandment that we do break most often, and it's sometimes one we enjoy breaking, we feel good about when we break, we can feel witty about when we break it, and it's just one that happens a lot, and it can do the most damage. You know, when you think about the other commandments, um, the third commandment, worshiping, we can take attendance and know who's not here or not here. We know when you break that. When it comes to the fifth commandment of murdering, pull out a gun on the street and shoot someone, there's repercussions for that, right? You're probably going to get arrested and go to jail. Sixth commandment, adultery, sexual immorality. There can be repercussions for that that you pay for in this life. You break up marriages with sexual immorality. You might even get a disease that you carry for the rest of your life. There's payback for that. The seventh commandment, stealing. Again, steal something out of a store and get caught very well could get arrested. There's payback for breaking the commandment. 
slandering someone, hurting their reputation, what's going to happen to you? And yet now with social media, how easy it is to slander someone. Someone on Facebook. Now with constant news feeds, 24-7, everything is breaking news. And ripe opportunities to slander whoever we see in that breaking news. Especially politicians. We love to slander politicians. We almost get a you know, good pat on the back with the better slander that we can give. President, senator, governor. And yet, presidents, senators, and governors were all made in God's image, right? They're also humans, people, just like us. If someone says something bad about you in Facebook, other social media, heck, even when we were kids on a playground, it hurt, didn't it? Doesn't it still? It hurts. And God knows that. Why do you think he wrote a commandment against this? It hurts when we break someone's reputation, slander them. And yet nowadays, again, you almost get applauded for the wittier ways that you can slander someone in our country. It's kind of sick and twisted. And it's also a way that we Christians are not called by God to live. This unbelieving world is one thing. Let it do what it does. It will slander away. But we as Christians are to take the high road and not to slander anyone. Whether it's our brother or sister in Christ or another un- an unbeliever in this world or, or someone who's famous. What did, your, what did our mothers always say? If you have nothing good to say, say nothing at all, right? We're not the only ones who wrestle with this. And we're not the only ones who have been slandered and hurt by this. Believe it or not, this, this commandment of hurting someone's reputation, this also applies to God. Think about that. When, when people teach the gospel wrongly, when there's a false teacher, who are they slandering? God. And in our Old Testament reading today, we heard about the the Jews who had returned to Jerusalem after being in exile, and they were rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem so that they could be kept safe. And the enemies all around them, they did not like this. And one way that they tried to get to the Jews, one way that they tried to mess with them, was not by slandering them, but by slandering their God. Here's what the passage said. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites, all enemies of God's people, heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And one of the ways they tried to cause confusion 
in Jerusalem, we hear about later on, is by trying to convince the Jews that their God had abandoned them, that he was not trustworthy, that he was not faithful, that he was not as forgiving as they had been told. Slander, slander, slander. And not against a person, but against the one true God. God wrote this commandment because he knows that we, with our sinful nature, how prone we are to speak ill of one another. And unfortunately, can even speak ill of God. But let's always remember how our Lord, Jesus Christ himself, kept this commandment. When he was abused, when he was slandered, did he slander back? Remember when he was on the cross, People were hurling insults at him. Literally as he's dying, hanging on a cross. He didn't hurl insults back. People were cussing him out left and right. Nothing. He didn't say an evil word against them. Even against the Roman soldiers who literally were crucifying him. He didn't shout out against them. Or cuss them out. Or slander them. He did the exact opposite. He took the high road that we all, Christ, all of us Christians, are to also take. When he spoke, and he only spoke seven times on the cross, he said, Father, send them all to hell for what they're doing. Is that what he said? Father, take these blankety blanks and rip them apart. Father, these people are big jerks and I want you to do worse to them than they're doing to me. Is that what he said? No. Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. The best high road possible. Forgiveness. That's where we Christians should be focusing on. We can spend our whole days watching news feeds and getting worked up about this, that, and the other thing out in the world and getting upset with this person or that person. We can say all kinds of nasty things on Facebook, social media. That's easy, right? Unbelievers do that. What are we called to do as Christians? Take the low road or the high road? Slander or forgive? For us, I pray that we always follow our Lord Jesus Christ and, and his, his image that he's given to us that's been blessed upon us in baptism that we're called to forgive in the same way that our Lord has and to forgive especially those who have wronged us. Not to slander them. That's easy. Forgive them. Release them. Just as in Christ, God has forgiven us. Amen. And now may the peace of our God which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.